Open up to the book of Job, right in the middle of your Bible. We're going to start there this morning. If you're a note taker, you can pull out the handout and we'll uh, have the opportunity to jot some things down. Just by way of review, last week uh, we talked about Paul and just the way he did ministry. So this week we're going to get into some of the words that were said. Um, but if you remember, one of the things that, that we talked about was the idea that Paul viewed his circumstances in light of his priorities. And he really views his problems and successes the same way we do. We, we view them in light of what's important to us. And what was important to Paul was that he would know Christ and that he would bring other people into Christ. Remember that we talked about him being in prison and that, and that him viewing circumstances that way carried over even while he was in prison? Remember that from last week? Say yes, please. There you go. That helps me sleep at night, just that you remember at least something. Just kidding. Um, well, this week, I, um, this week some things happen. I don't know if you ever read the scriptures and think in your mind, well, those were in Bible times. That's how it was in Bible times. Uh, God has no idea how it is for me today. Um, and, and this week, we have a living example of what we talked about one week ago, Sunday. Um, there's, a, there's a pastor by the name of Tom Randall, and um, he is a guy that, that perhaps many in this room even have heard speak before. He's spoken at different churches, and for 20 years now, he's been um, serving in the Philippines. He started an orphanage there. He uses basketball and juggling and stories and just kind of the larger-than-life personality that he is to minister in the Philippines. And um, I'm going to read for you an update. He's, he's sitting right now in a jail in the Philippines. Um, and I'm going to read for you a, a little update that was, that was given uh, from Tom to, to a pastor, a mutual pastor friend of mine. It says this, that he was arrested on trumped-up charges and is sitting in a dark Philippine uh, jail. His spirits are high, but his health is poor. He said that revival has broken out among the prison, and many prisoners and guards have come to faith in Jesus. In fact, he is so sick that he could get out of jail, but he told the doctor to leave him in at least one more day because of what God was doing in the prison. Now, as of right now, he's still in jail, um, and he's still in really, really poor health. Um, but, but, uh, but he's reporting that God is doing a work there in the, the prison cell. So I want to just start our service off by remembering last week. Remember one of the things that Paul said in terms of what God is accomplishing by him being in jail was this, that people are coming to know him. Remember, even the palace guards are coming to know that I'm here uh, in, in jail for the faith. And... The other brothers and sisters are now being emboldened because of my faith in Christ. And I thought, wow, what if God would be so kind to stir in us greater courage because of a guy like Pastor Tom Randall who's sitting in jail right now and actually requesting to stay there because he's viewing his circumstances in light of the gospel. Let's pray. God, this morning, I pray that you would teach us new things. But Lord, as we look back on just a week ago, and we read world circumstances and the lives of people in light of the truth that we're learning in Scripture, I pray that we wouldn't miss it, God. I pray that you would encourage us because of the faith of others. Lord, it's hard for us to know how to pray all the time. But I pray that your name would be glorified, that truth would reign, and that encouragement would go on um, through, through the body of Christ, especially those who know Tom. 
Father, I pray that you would minister in, uh, in the jail there, and I pray, God, that you would bring uh, many to saving faith in you because of these circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you saw a kid wipe out on a bike right in front of you, um, and you had the opportunity, would you stop to help him? Yeah, yeah, you would. Uh, if someone slammed their car into a light pole across the street, uh, and you were nearby, would you, would you go over and investigate and make sure everything was okay? Okay, good. I'm not talking to a bunch of psychopaths. I mean, most of us would do that, right? We're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to stop and do it. Both those things happened to me within the last year, the woman across the street just a, just a couple weeks ago. Um, and those are just things that happened right in front of me. And, of course, I stopped and, and went, investigated, and helped out in, in any way that I could. Um, here's, here's the truth, though. There are other kinds of hurts that aren't so easy to detect that are going on all the time. Emotional wounds. Scarred souls, tormented minds, people who were believing false doctrine. All of those I would lump into saying, those are just as real in terms of the hurt and in terms of the effect of the hurt. But it's harder, isn't it, to go enter into those kinds of hurts sometimes? Often because we can't even detect that they're going on. Whereas someone who wipes out in front of us, we run over and see about helping them. So what helps a person who is injured confused, or in a dark place. I don't know if you've ever tried and failed before, but I would venture to guess in this room, many of you are in that place and need help, and many of you have ventured in before to help other people because you know it's the right thing to do and you know they're in a dark place, but maybe you've asked some of these questions. According to 2 Corinthians 5.18, you'll, you'll get to this in your community groups, it's written down there, all Christians are called to the ministry of reconciliation. Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation. It's the idea of taking what was broken and restoring it. And God's got us as his ambassadors, his representatives, to go and enter into and mimic what he does in entering into people's hurts and bringing healing. Now, the Bible is chock full of examples of this. And I want to look this morning at Job and his friends uh, before we get into our passage, because there's a lot to learn. Um, go ahead and turn to, to Job chapter 4, and we'll start there. The first thing we see about Job and his friends is this. They come to him. There's a lot to be said in saying that these three friends went out of their way to come to Job in his dark hour. I'll tell you the coward's way out is to say, I don't know how to help people when real trauma helps, so I just won't go. So it's courageous and loving that they just showed up. There's something to learn in that. To just walk with someone through their pain is massive. Now the story shows us that they came and sat in silence with him for seven days and seven nights because his suffering was so great. So they come and in, and in empathy and just in wanting to keep him company and be with him, they just came and sat with him in silence. Now, so far, so good. They've come to him and they've sat with him in silence, but the problems come when they open their mouth. And when they open their mouth, uh, the, the real issues start to happen. Um, there's Eli uh, who comes and he, he starts talking first. And by the way, the way that Job is laid out is this. 
We know the story from the very beginning that Job's an upright man, that Job is sinless before God, that he's walking with his Lord, that he's honoring him. And so at the very start, we, the reader, get, get the, a little peek behind the curtain of what's really going on. And then for the rest of the book, it's kind of unfolding in front of us. So Job has this friend Eli that comes along, and here's Eli's basic uh, comment to him. He says, the innocent prosper, you're not doing so hot, figure it out. That's in essence what he's saying to Job. Look at, look at Job 4, starting in verse 7. He says, stop and think. Do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. Job says, thanks. I'm glad I have other friends. Next, right? That was Eli. Up steps Bill. Bill gives this advice. He says, apologize. Look at Job 8, verse 5. He says, but if you pray to God and seek the favor of the Almighty, and if you are pure and live with integrity, he will surely rise up and restore your happy home. In essence, he's saying to Job this, it must be some secret sin, buddy. Confess. Get back to a good devotional life. Pray. Get back in church. Get doing some works of service. Apologize is what he says. Now, Job goes on for a couple of chapters and he speaks. And here's what he's saying. He's proclaiming his innocence before God. He's proclaiming, saying, my complaint before God is just. And then along comes Z. Here's his buddy Z. His buddy Z says this. Well, you deserve worse. Job 11, verse 2. Turn there, if you will. After Job speaks, Z speaks up and he says this, Shouldn't someone answer this torrent of words? Is a person proved innocent just by talking a lot? Should I remain silent while you babble on? When you mock God, shouldn't someone make sure, make, make you ashamed? Verse 4, you claim, my beliefs are pure and I am clean in the sight of God. If only God would speak. If only he would tell you what he thinks. If only he would tell you the secrets of wisdom for true wisdom is not a simple matter. And I guess any reason, since God's not available, let me go ahead and step in. And he says this, listen, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserve. At this point, he's probably wishing, guys, you really shouldn't have come. Really, really shouldn't have come. I start with Job's friends for, for two reasons. One is this. If you are ever worried about saying the wrong thing, remember Job's three friends, okay? Uh, the bar is set pretty low. There's going to come a time when you're going to be invited into uh, some, uh, some kind of a, a difficult situation. You're not going to know what to say, and you're going to be tempted to run from that. You're going to wrestle with yourself because you're going to say, I know I should enter into that. That's, that's a broken, bleeding person emotionally right now, but I don't know how to handle that. I don't know what to say. I want you to remember Job's friends. They actually used some decent logic in their own personal experience, and guess what? They were dead wrong in their advice. You can read it for yourself at the end of Job, but ultimately they have to come and humble themselves, and Job has to, has to make a sacrifice on their behalf because they were in sin by what they said. So secondly, I want, you to show, I want to show you this. Not every friend that you're hearing from is hearing from God. Not every voice that is coming and sitting with you and walking through this with you is hearing 
from God. Job's three friends are dead wrong in this. Even though they would use some advice and counsel and experience that probably many of us, if we start to dissect what, what they reason, have reasoned the same even with other people. Now, I want to show you a different example, and that is Paul. Paul is engaged deeply, remember, because he cares deeply. Galatians is a letter that Paul is giving to them, and in giving it to them, he's saying, these are the revealed words of God. This is what God's revealed to me, and I'm giving it to you. So, let's read uh, Galatians chapter 4. Go ahead and flip over there. That's where our text is this, this morning. And in Galatians chapter 4, just starting in verse 15, it says this. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now, I don't know if Paul taught any pastor's conferences, but if he did and he was thinking back on the Galatian people, and he was doing a session about what he learned there, he might have his session be called something like this. Warning, helping the hurting can hurt. Uh, This has always been true. There's this phrase that says, uh, the truth hurts. And that's not just true of the receiver of the one, you know, receiving the truth, but oftentimes of the messenger who's delivering the truth. Parents, let me ask you this. Do your adoring children ever have trouble expressing their deep appreciation for the loving truth that you are giving to them in any given moment? They ever struggle with that? Yeah, my kids do once, once in a while. Um, sometimes love notes express emotions the best. And, and here's some uh, that I found online this week. Uh, Mommy, I love you. Sometimes. <laughs> the truth hurts, doesn't it? Sometimes they write conditional love notes. I won't love you if you make me clean my room. Sometimes parents try to overlook it and and heal things with a love note of their own. This one says, Dear Julian, have a great day. Love, Mom. To which the child replies, I will not. (laughs) And once in a while, if you're lucky, you get an apology love note. This one says, I love you, Mommy. Dear Mom, you are my favorite Mommy ever. I'm sorry for calling you a piece of poo, and I hate you and not going to my room. I love you, Mommy, your daughter, Karen. Now, I bring these up because parents, parenting is, is all about never being sure whether to laugh or cry, right? I mean, we go through life just, just on the teetering edge of, of things. And what's going on here is this, that life and love and relationship and the truth, it just hurts sometimes. That's part of the fallen world that we live in. It just, it just hurts. The way Paul says it in verse 16 is this. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul's message had not changed, but the reception of the Galatians had changed. And in weather pattern terms, it's this. There's a cooling trend coming toward Paul. They're getting awfully icy to him. No longer the warm reception. And Paul says this, my message to you remains unchanged. Where's the blessedness? Now am I your enemy? We can be exactly like the Galatians, though, if you think about it. 
We can be just like the Galatians. We welcome some of Paul's teaching. Let me give you an example. Um, uh, how about this one? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It does not brag. It's not arrogant. Have you heard that one before? Yeah, if you've been to a wedding recently, you may have heard that. That's Paul. We receive that as if Paul's an angel from God. We say, wow, what great truth that is. But then we can turn on him and scorn him. Listen to this from Ephesians 5. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. And, and someone says, say what? That can't be true. And if Paul were there in front of you, he would say this. One you receive as an angel from the Lord, one you scorn me and turn on me. It's all still me. This is all still Paul. I'm the same guy. I'm just delivering to you what I'm receiving from God is truth. Some of Paul's passages we we really wrestle with. We go, well, that can't be true. Let's start studying the Greek on that one. There's got to be some other meaning to that. I don't like that. That rubs against me. In other parts, we go, wow, that's just so good. I'm going to make a bumper sticker out of that, right? This is what the Galatians were doing. They they received Paul, and, and then all of a sudden, his message hasn't changed. He's just still being a spokesperson for God, and they turn on him. And they start scorning him for being a truth teller. So what is a Paul to do? He remains engaged because he loves him dearly. Proverbs 27 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of what? An enemy. Paul's going to stay in there. He's going to stay in the relationship. He's going to stay in the battle because he loves them enough to keep telling them the truth. Now, speaking of enemies, when Paul is not laying out truth in this, in this letter, he's exposing lies and liars. Look at verse 17. He introduces they. Remember, there's kind of three characters in this whole letter. There's Paul, there's his opponents, these deceivers, these Judaizers, who are coming and false teaching the believers away, and there's the Galatian believers themselves. So he's going to start talking about they, which is the second group of people, the, the Judaizers. Look at verse 17 with me. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. He goes into a section where he's comparing and contrasting himself and the they here. They, he says, build up, Galatians, for their own sake. Paul says, I build you up for your own sake. Big difference. It's an issue of flattery, tickling ears, being told what you want to hear, being made much of. Um, I was going about my week this week, and um, of course, of all the weeks I would get a phone call uh, like this, it would be a week where I'm about to say what I'm about to say. I don't know if you've ever been made much of, only in the end to realize it was for no good purpose. There was, a, there was an ulterior motive to it all. Well, I received a phone call, and I get lots of phone calls with references for people. People say, hey, I'm applying for a job, I'm applying for a house, I'm applying for school, can I use you as a reference? I say, sure, you know, no, no problem. So I get this phone call, and in my mind, I immediately thought it was a reference phone call. And what this person said was this. They said, so-and-so has given us your name. And that's where my brain went into this as a reference phone call. And then the person said this. And I know how highly this person speaks of you. And, and, and the phone caller said, I know that you're great with people. I'm like, eh, yeah, I'm not bad. 
I know that you're working hard to make a difference in your, in your neighborhood. I'm like, well, I am. It's nice to be appreciated. Thank you. And then finally she says this on the phone. And I know that you're a real leader in the community. And I'm like, yeah, not so much. What are you talking about? And I stopped her in her tracks. I said, excuse me, let me, let me stop you for a second. I said, could you explicitly tell me the nature of this phone call? What was it? It's a pyramid scheme. It, it, was, it, was, it was her giving me this. Now, there was a real person, so I said, you know what? I'll have to just talk directly to that person about this. Thank you so much for, phone, you know, for, for the phone call. And I hung up on the person. See, I was being taken along like, yeah, yeah, I was being made much of, right? For no good purpose. You guys have had that happen to you too. We've all been duped in this. Sometimes it's fairly innocent. It's a phone call. It wasted about 30 seconds of my life to get that phone call. But sometimes it's a relationship gone bad. It's a, it's a job offer. It was a, it was a promise of this, and, and you were built up. I'll tell you what churches are absolutely filled with and our valleys filled with is people who've been made much of in the church under false pretense by wolves. And the damage that's done in that is devastating. Paul's saying here, not all building up is the same. It depends on the purpose to it. It depends on the motive of why you're being built up. False teachers are flattering for selfish gain. You ever been paid a compliment with a sense of obligation to get one in return? You ever have someone ask you about your day or, or ask you about something when all the while you can tell they're just itching, like, hurry up and finish. I want to really tell you. I didn't know how to come and tell you, so I thought I would seem like I would be interested in you just so that you'd please ask me. Here's a fun one sometime. Don't take the cue. Just leave it at that sometime. I mean, you can sense it's going on. I've, I've been sharing with a person, and we all do this. Sometimes it's awfully innocent. But, but I've been sharing with someone, I'm like, wow, they, they are not listening to me at all. And I actually took the question as, as a real question, and so I'm, I'm really talking, I'm really communicating with them. Um, so, so many times that that goes on, and here's what's happening. They're making much of the Galatians, so the Galatians will turn and say, wow, these teachers are so insightful. They're building them up so that the Galatians will build them up. Do you see how that's just using people? I mean, in our logical, rational, sitting here selves, we go, that's, that's disgusting. That's weird. What a terrible way to relate to other people is just to use them for what, for what can build us up. And Paul's exposing that. Here's what's interesting. The false teachers were actually modeling exactly what they were teaching. Here's what salvation was to these false teachers. As we've watched the logic unflow, here's, here's their salvation. It's ministry. It's grace plus, right? Grace plus ritual. Grace plus cleansing things. Grace plus festivals and days and, and years and, and dates and, and keeping the law to a T. So ministry is their salvation. And instead of being grace-obsessed the way that Paul was, these people were notice-obsessed. Sometime, I want you to write down Matthew chapter 23. Write down Matthew 23, because here's Jesus exposing Pharisees who sound an awful lot like the Judaizers from Galatians. 
And what he says is this, because they sit in these proper seats of authority, do what they say to do, but don't do what they do. Don't you dare follow their actual actions, because if you did, you would, you would have all the woes that I go on to talk about to the Pharisees to their face falling upon you. Woe to you, Pharisees. You make sure the outside of the club, a cup is shiny and clean. Meanwhile, the inside is disgusting. Woe to you, Pharisees. And on and on he goes. Go read it for yourself, Matthew 23. It's one of the most scathing uh, places Jesus levels, and he's leveling it at false teachers who are notice-obsessed people instead of grace-obsessed people. They're steering people down the wrong path. It's the difference between like me on Facebook, which is this big deal, right? I got so many likes for this comment. I posted this picture and I got a bunch of likes. Versus Paul, where he says this, become like me. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and invites imitation. This is Paul. Be like me as I'm like Christ. Wolves feed on the sheep, using them for personal gain only to move on. Now, here's what's really, really weird. Because sheep aren't the smartest animals, and that's not very flattering to us because we're referred to over and over again in the Scriptures as sheep. Because sheep aren't the sharpest animals, they often will applaud the wolf and scorn the shepherd. Helping, hurting people can hurt. So, here's what Paul does. Paul makes a choice. Paul had every reason and thought he could leave. But here's what Paul does. Isn't that loud? That's just two beeps. I'll stop there. Paul sounds the alarm. Now, what I just did to you, that hurt my ears a lot. What I just did to you is either just really annoying and rude, or it's super loving, depending on whether I'm right or not, depending on whether it's true or not. Don't you see that if smoke started to fill this room and I was sounding the alarm, all of you would cheer me and applaud me and say, Thank you, Dave, so much. You gave us time, not only to get out, but to get the kids out, and everyone was saved. But if I'm not telling you the truth, you're just annoyed at me. Now, I don't know if you have one of these in your house. This happens to be a smoke alarm. But we have a lot of smoke alarms, but we also have something else. We have a carbon monoxide detector in our house. And while smoke and carbon monoxide both can kill, I would venture a guess that carbon monoxide is by far the more deadly. Because it's odorless, um, it's colorless, and initially it's completely non-irritating. Therefore, we can't detect the imminent danger that we're in. Let me put out to you that a smoke detector is like someone wiping out in front of you on a bike and you see blood and you're like, okay, they're injured, they're in dire uh, need of getting pulled out of the street and they need help right now. It's urgent. A carbon monoxide detector is what Paul was interested in. He was looking into people's souls and saying, your problems are theological. You are believing a lie and your soul is in imminent danger because you've taken the cross of Christ and you're adding to it for your salvation. And if you begin to add to the grace of Christ that we just sang about, you're in danger of what's called a works theology. 
you think somehow you can gain your righteousness before God. So Paul does what the loving thing is, and he keeps sounding the alarm. And guess what the people start to do? They don't see themselves in dire danger, so they turn on him. And that's why he's asking, am I now your enemy? Because I'm telling you the truth. Paul's basically, in the book of Galatians, he's in in the middle of an argument that goes something like this. Christ comes, brings us all new life in him. And because of his blood atonement, every one of us who trusts in Christ, we meet the demands of the law. The requirements of the law are completely fulfilled without the impossible life of trying to fulfill them ourselves. Because of the blood of Christ, we're seen as perfectly righteous before God without having to actually live the life which we could never live. And here's what he's getting at with the Galatians. Why would you go back to the impossible life? You know that's not what saves. Remember a couple weeks ago? Live out of your son identity, not your false slave identity. So over and over, he just keeps beating this drum with them. He's pleading with them. These are some of the most personal, urgent words that Paul uses in any of his letters. Because he cares for their souls and they're in imminent danger. I'm going to close out this section with this. Look at verse 18. He says, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Here's the key phrase that separates Paul and the false teachers. Paul longs for Christ to be formed in them. A false teacher longs to make many versions of themselves that reflect back their own glory. Do you see that? Paul says this, I want Christ formed in you. And until that happens, I'm in the anguish of childbirth. He brings up a woman in labor. Now, I've been uh, been a few feet away from this, this fury before. This woman in labor. I've been there a couple times now. And I'll tell you, for those of you who haven't been there, it's scary. It is really scary. It turns really, really sweet women into people that you would never cross with, ever. And Paul brings this imagery up, and he uses an accurate word, ladies, doesn't he? The anguish of childbirth. If you're a mom in this room to a child who has a life-threatening illness, or if you're a mom in this room who's mother to a wandering child right now, a spiritually distant child, and you think in your mind, would I go back through the pains of childbirth if it meant the well-being of my kid? Then you're tracking with Paul. God's put something in moms and dads for their kid that they'd say, wow, if, if me going through the anguish of childbirth, something that in the moment I said, I'm never going to do this again, meant your good, meant your salvation, could somehow bring you around, could somehow save your life, I'd do it in a heartbeat. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, right now, I'm in that kind of anguish for you. 
What an example of a true friend Paul was. He was tough. Paul told them the tough truth. He didn't skirt the issue. But he was also tender. Look at his language. Dear children, I wish I could be with you. I wish I could change my tone. You confuse me. I'm confused by you. Not just a cold professor that lays out the truth and walks out the door, but a loving spiritual parent. Maybe you can think of someone who loved you enough to tell you the truth. A real friend who wounded you with reality instead of flattered you uh, with with kisses and and telling you what you want to hear. Here's a little idea as an action step today. Do it today so you don't forget. Find a way to encourage that person. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher that led you to Christ years ago. Maybe it was some youth worker that mentored you. Maybe it's one of your family members who took an interest in you and has walked with you and has been a true friend. Do something to encourage them. Just just jot them a note. We live in the easiest society in the world to communicate with one another. Maybe a text today, this afternoon, would be something really meaningful to that person. Just to say, thanks for being a friend to me that loves me enough to tell me the truth. I wrap up with this. If all that's going on with the Galatians sounds super familiar, it's because it is. The very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, God comes to Adam and Eve and he speaks into their world. And he paints a picture of what's going on. And a couple of chapters later, the serpent comes and he speaks into that same world but with a twist. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are left with a choice. Do we trust and believe this voice, or do we trust and believe in this voice? What's going on with the Galatians is that Paul and some posers were coming into the Galatians, and they were speaking truth into their lives, and they were exactly opposite stories. It was the same reality for the Galatians, and Paul's saying this is true, and the posers are saying this is true, and the Galatians are left with that same choice. Who do we believe? Who do we listen to? Church, hear me today. We're living this same storyline. There are so many voices that are coming at us, speaking into our world. The circumstances haven't changed. God's speaking into it, and liars are speaking into it. Are we going to be discerning in who we listen to? How do we gather what's even accurate or not? The Bible says this, maybe you track with this, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. You could be dead wrong today. I pray that we all would learn from the Galatians to not follow every wind of teaching, to be discerning. The Bible says God disciplines true sons, which means this, don't automatically scorn those who are telling you things that you don't want to hear. And don't automatically love those who are building you up and you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they might be lying to you. They might be using you. They might be feeding on you like wolves. Let me pray. Father, we need your grace this morning to just rest in your love. I thank you that this this morning was was a morning we got to gather as a family and celebrate communion. We got to just pause and individually 
acknowledge the choice that we've made in you by taking the bread individually, but then collectively coming and drinking of the cup together collectively. God, I pray that we would rest in your love even when it hurts. I pray for discernment right now for people in this room who are in desperate need of hearing from you. God, your word is trustworthy. I pray that we would read it. I pray that we would understand it. We learned a few weeks ago that your Holy Spirit's been given to us to actually cry from within us, to agree with our spirit. Yes, this is the way. God, would you see fit to raise up wounded healers in this room, people who themselves have been comforted by you, people who themselves have had modeled for them, people who've entered into their hurt and walked with them through their hurt, answered their questions, sat with them in their confusion. God, that we wouldn't be brought to restoration just to accumulate now comfort for ourselves, but that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear where people are hurting and how we can enter in and minister to them, being your hands and feet. We love you. We praise you for music. I pray that as we sing right now, God, you would drive these truths home. In Jesus' name.